So welcome to Disco Motion. Uh, this is Julian Bray with the podcast and uh, we're anything but disco because basically it's my view on the world as it affects me here in Cambridgeshire. Uh, today is July the 19th, uh, 2020, and it's all popping off left, right and centre. We've got the ridiculous situation that now that everybody has accepted, well, more or less accepted the idea of uh, social uh, distancing and supermarkets have put down all these tapes saying keep two meters apart it, the tapes are everywhere and of course uh, what is happening well we're thinking of reducing the distance to one meter so what's going to happen now do you take the tapes up do you leave the tapes there but say look you can just stay a meter apart go and get infected anyway it's only covid19 who really worries about that? That's probably a little austere, but the point is that uh, uh, Boris's government hasn't really covered itself in glory over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, the press conferences seem to be, these, these are the ones from uh, Downing Street, they seem to be squeezing these down to half an hour. And I've noticed that in some of them, it's only the minister speaking and he's delivering a sort of prepared script. Uh, the questions with the media are as dire as ever. Why on earth they don't get some medical journalists on there to really test the minister? But even so, they're making an absolute horlicks of the whole thing. It really is quite embarrassing. And if they're not going to have the experts there, then, of course, there's nobody there to dig them out of a deep hole. So the latest scenario is that uh, everybody's worried about pubs and clubs and restaurants reopening. Uh, or rather, it's the people who are running pubs, clubs and restaurants that are reopening. And essentially, it looks as though they might be opening the doors on July the 4th and allowing you to go into beer gardens, but nobody really knows it's because the government just won't give a date. Nonetheless, brewers seem to understand because they've already started brewing beer in anticipation of an opening date of July the 4th. So one can only hope this is going to happen or they're going to have a lot more beer to tip down the drains or whatever they do with it. Uh, because they've already tipped away millions of barrels of beer uh, when the whole lockdown process started. In my own city, which is Peterborough, we have uh, quite a nice pub restaurant on a Dutch barge. Uh, it was a big old uh, trading barge that used to go up and down the rivers uh, of Holland and all around Europe and Germany, uh, carrying sand. And it was built just a few years after the Titanic was built. And guess what? They sailed it across the North Sea and managed to get it to Peterborough and uh, turned it into a very nice pub. It's called Charters. Where, so when it reopens and they sell Oakham's Ale, or hopefully they will be, uh, because there's a big question mark at the moment how many of these pubs and clubs will reopen because they're carrying quite a large overhead. And some of the pub companies that own the properties aren't letting up on the uh, rent and saying that they're going to have to pay at least a partial rent for the time that they've been in lockdown. Now, this sounds a bit ridiculous because the supermarkets who have been 
oh, they've had a roaring trade while everywhere else has been locked down, have been forgiven um, rates on their huge supermarkets. So they haven't had to pay the rates. They're making huge profits and uh, nobody's batted an eyelid. The poor old publican or uh, bar owner uh, is still faced with paying local rates. Uh, he's had to furlough his staff. That's paying, well, the government paying 80% of the salaries and the employer is supposed to top it up and they can't work. So what is going on here? Somebody really ought to take a look at it. At my great age, uh, you seem to pick up all sorts of things. Of course, I've got diabetes too, so I have to have reg regular, uh, well, once a year blood checks. And anyway, after a lot of argy-bargy, um, the surgery rang me up and said, Oi, you haven't had your blood test this year. And I said, well, yes, I have. But the point is, uh, the lady that was trying to do the take the blood couldn't find a vein to stick the needle in. Uh, there is an art of doing it, and unfortunately, after they had bruised up two arms, I said, no, I think I've had enough, I'm going home. Um, so I uh, went home, and uh, uh, anyway, it's gone on a few weeks. So I had the blood test, so in we go. Um, I get a phone call yesterday. It's a doctor, he's reviewed my results, and he says, um, don't like the way your kidneys are going. Now remember, we're in lockdown now, so... I said, yeah, so well, it, they're down a bit. So, so down about, uh, well, they're down about a third. Uh, so I've got kidneys usable one third. And, you know, it's quite important. So I'm trying to work out what's gone wrong here. Then suddenly realised it's due to the fact I'm not getting down to the pub and I'm not having my two pints of beer a day. I limit myself to two pints of beer um, because, um, uh, well, it's just sensible. But... The point is, that is actually taken in as part of your fluid intake. Um, I drink lots of teas and coffees, but uh, coffee, not so much counts uh, because of the caffeine and everything else. Teas count and soft drinks count. But uh, you said you've really got to drink at least two litres of water a day. So I'm getting used to that idea. And I thought, right, OK, we'll have extra water with everything and see what happens. But um, what they did say, right, we don't like your blood pressure either. And, oh, here we go. Uh, they're now going to have a look at this. So I've got a diary. Now, what I'm having to do is to take blood pressure readings twice a day. But there is an art to it, which nobody realizes that um, you, the first one you do, you do it three times and you discard the first one because you're actually getting used to the blood pressure meter. That is the uh, Velcro bandage that goes on your arm and uh, it sort of pumps up the bandage so it can get a pulse reading and so on. So um, if you are taking your own blood pressure, uh, bear that one in mind. Do the first one and then do it twice again and the next two readings within a few minutes of each other and make sure that your feet are firmly on the ground. Apparently this is important. Nobody told me that before. Uh, but the point is my blood pressure readings do seem to be going down during the week. But uh, who knows, they might go just back up again. I've got to do this for two weeks, but apparently what they do, they then take an average of all the readings and decide that is my blood pressure reading and that is the 
operative one, you might say. So you learn something new every day. Uh, so I am persevering with that and I'll be doing a few more readings, but uh, I've got a machine at home and I think I'm going to use it from time to time. Possibly once a week might be a good idea. Take some readings and just see how generally it's going. Uh, because you never know these days what's happening. The additional stress, the change of environments. Uh, we all get shaken up a bit. So that is what I would definitely be doing. From time to time, I used to, and I say that advisedly, um, present lectures on cruise ships. Somebody has to do it, you understand. And they're mainly on special interests such as uh, uh, World War II entertainers, big bands, show business, uh, ports of call, in other words, destinations. And I'll give a brief history and some of the interesting facts. And these lectures last for about 45 minutes. And uh, we once did a whole series on the Titanic, about the Titanic rather, and this was on the maiden voyage of the of Royal Caribbean's independence of the seas. So it's going back a, a few years now. And it was quite interesting because they said, right, you do a lecture every sea day. There were five sea days uh, when you're lost in port. And so we'll do the lectures. And so they put you down in the conference centre. It was quite a swish conference centre on board all these ships because occasionally they do have private conferences uh, along with cruises. And so they set it up. They put 100 chairs in, said that should be good enough. And they put me on very early in the morning at 9.30, uh, which seemed a bit harsh, but there you go. So turned up, and I thought, oh, this is getting quite full. And bang on the appointed time, I started the lecture. And... Uh, there's an awful lot of sweet paper rustling, you you might say. And uh, then one of the cruise director staff came in and said, uh, Julian, would you mind uh, pausing for a moment? And I said, what's the problem? I said, well, you wouldn't know, but there's a queue out of the conference centre, along the corridor, up the stairway, down the main promenade, deck, Yes, and they're all trying to get into your lecture. We have about 500 people here uh, who are queuing up for it, and we can only get 100 in here. Ah, right. And I said, well, look, I'm already uh, 10 minutes into this one. Uh, what do you suggest? They said, well, we're going to move you into the main theatre. Then it was called the Alhambra Theatre. Uh, we'll move you in there. So I think 2,000 seats should do it, shouldn't it? So uh, I said, well, what I'll do, I'll, I'll, shall I redo the lecture, do a second uh, sitting, if you like, later on? And it's a brilliant idea. We'll go with that. So they approved that. So I did the first lecture to my 100 and then did all the remaining lectures in the theatre. And would you believe they all turned up at 9.30 in the morning and I was getting anything from 400 to 600 people. Uh, every sea day for these Titanic lectures. And um, what we did, uh, Morag, is she's studied the Titanic as a hobby for years. And so she knows every conceivable nut and bolt technical detail 
about it. So with her doing all the research, me writing the actual lecture, and then putting the pictures to it, um, it was quite cathartic. It was quite enjoyable, and we got some really interesting stuff together. So delivered all the lectures, uh, great acclaim, everybody loved it. And then at the end of the voyage, I thought, well, I've got to be able to do something with this. So I did actually offer it around to a couple of TV companies. Uh, the first one said, yeah, it's brilliant. And then they promptly went off and tried to do their own series. So there was a little court case about that, which uh, uh, came out the right side of zero. So that was all right. Um, but uh, the interesting thing was that uh, recently uh, I thought, right, I'll revive the lectures because this was for the centenary year of the Titanic going down and the independence of the seas was actually retracing the same route from Southampton to Queenstown, which is called Cove in, in Ireland. And, uh, of course, it's after Cove that... Uh, uh, people could join the Titanic at Cove and then those that did actually encounter the iceberg and lost their life. However, there was a vicar on board, uh, well, Father Brown, actually, not really a vicar, but a, a religious person, and he was a photographer and he was just wanting a lift to Ireland. He took lots of pictures of the um, Titanic at the time and he got off at Cove, Queenstown. Of course, he took all the uh, slides, glass slides, as they would be then, with him. So that is why we have all the pictures of the Titanic uh, out during the first part of its maiden voyage. And so those are the ones that uh, everybody seems to reference these days. But uh, I'm saying I'm rewriting the lectures at the moment. And it is amazing because since uh, the time I first wrote the lectures, there's been a number of dives down to the site and a lot more information has come out. So I'm finding I'm having to rewrite every one of the five lectures to put in the additional information. Not a chore, but it's quite amazing. Once you put an idea, spark an idea into somebody, you find that things change and uh, additional information comes up. They've known the, about the information for years, just kept quiet about it, and somebody is brave enough to come forward. And good luck's in too. I put in this note about the independence of the seas, which of course is one of Royal Caribbean International's ships, because uh, obviously the cruise industry is not having a good time at the moment, because uh, uh, they've got a lot of their ships parked up, but they've still got crews on board some of them doing essential maintenance, and also some crews on board uh, who just can't get home because uh, there are flying restrictions. And uh, some of these people are in, well, real dire straits. And so a lot more has to be done to, in order to repatriate them. And unfortunately, a lot of them come from the Indian subcontinent. And I hate to say it, but uh, Indian Sri Lanka are not really pulling their weight in trying to get their nationals home. And so you have the awful situation where they're either tied up in port uh, or they're bobbing around on the end of, end of an anchor in a, in a friendly bay somewhere. Uh, but life on board and not being able to get off forever 
uh, is a bit oppressive. Uh, and apparently, because of various customs restrictions, some of the provisioning that normally go on board uh, can't go on board. For example, basic things like duty of all goods, beer. <laughs> they can't get hold of beer, so they have to rely on squash. So I'm afraid, you know, some have been there for months, and that's pretty dire. So hopefully somebody listening out there will pick this up and say, right, okay, what do we do? How do we get these people off? Also, I understand that uh, Carnival is saying that uh, they won't be putting any cruises out till at least November. And uh, they're also saying, if my reports are right, that they're thinking of disposing or getting rid of at least six cruise ships uh, because, frankly, uh, they are a huge financial liability when they're not out there earning money. Obviously, when all the cruises are going well, then, of course, it's like a well-oiled machine. It, it is a cash cow, that's for sure, uh, because people do spend up on cruises. Uh, remember, the price of the cruise is just to get you on the ship. You then have your onboard spend on top. And, uh, you know, a nice gin tonic at... Uh, or about $11, you understand the profits mount up, don't they? And so on. Um, I think uh, that's a pint of uh, old speckled hen was something like uh, $4. So there you go. That gives you an idea of what happens on the high seas. But it is sad because uh, cruise, I, I like cruising. I must admit, I like cruise ships. And I like visiting all the ports and going ashore and scouting around. I've been to many of destinations a few times over now, now, so you know where to go, the places to see. But the point is, they do actually bring in an awful lot of money to local economies all over the place. It's not just the passenger tax or when you get off, all the small amount of money that uh, uh, the passengers will pay in local cafes and and gift shops and things like that. But also it's the mooring fees that the harbour picks up and all the bunkering and other stuff that is done, um, sort of putting on water and taking off effluent and uh, all the other support services, put it like that. I remember at one particular port, uh, it was the Legend of the Seas, which has now actually passed to Tui, and uh, it's it's it is their new small ship, but uh, the Legend of the Seas was the very first cruise ship that uh, I went on with Royal Caribbean way back when they first started uh, sailing out of the UK, and went ashore one day, and there are skips, lots of skips, lots of mattresses. They've been changing the mattresses in the cabins. And I said, well, where are all these going? They said, oh, no, don't worry. They're not being thrown out. They are actually going to be recycled locally. And they have a policy of recycling everything they can. And fair enough, at another port a few years later, they were changing the deck lounges. And they're, they're, they're all the old deck lounges, all neatly stacked up in skips on the port side. And they are off to be either... Uh, refurbished, reworked and traded locally or the metal is going to be um, scrapped and uh, melted down. So 
it's quite good there is a recycling policy there and they're quite hot on, the, on board when of course the ships are sailing uh, but whether they actually get back to their former glory we don't know we'll just have to wait and see won't we you might well ask what on earth is going on with the weather we've had just about everything haven't we we've had four seasons in one day uh, we've had torrential rain and now they say next week uh, it's going to go up to 32. Now, 32 is basically very hot indeed, uh, the sort of things you get in tropical Africa. And uh, so there'll be that's towards the end of next week. But the, the point is that uh, we've still got to carry on, and um, so the barbecue is going to come out. So I've already done all the prep on it. I've got an, an original Weber uh, barbecues it's done seen 22 years and it's still going strong it's a kettle barbecue so you just pull the lid over it and it's brilliant does pizzas does the whole lot whatever you like but uh really it's changing fashions if you like because uh, i like a good bit of meat but uh my wife has well she went vegetarian about eight years ago and in the early days it was difficult she'd try and make up a sort of a nut burger for herself or, or whatever and until the last few years increasingly there's an awful lot of vegetarian and vegan food on the market and uh, when you actually go in the supermarket now you can't move for facings of all these things all these products and it really makes you wonder if we can actually do without meat frankly i don't think i could but uh, there you go so Anyway, the the burgers, the uh, barbecue is going to come out, and if you don't know about it, there is a dead easy way of starting up barbecue, and it's called a chimney. Um, don't bother with lighter fuel and all that sort of stuff. What it is, it is a round metal uh, tube with a handle on it. In fact, the first one I saw was actually a bucket that a Greek friend of mine had. They'd take out the bottom of the bucket, and what you do, you put it on, uh, you line the bottom with knotted newspaper. You roll up the newspaper into spills, and you just put a knot in it. You need about five of these, and so there you go. You have the bottom grill of your barbecue in there, uh, on which the charcoal normally rests. And so the paper goes in there, um, the bucket is placed in situ, or the chimney is placed in situ, and you just pour the charcoal into it. So you've got, you've got paper on the bottom, charcoal at the top of this tube, and the air vents are open. And then using, well, I use a gas poker or a gas lighter, and you just light the newspaper and suddenly it's drawn up in the chimney and you find that that lights brilliantly you think nothing's happening but then if you look through the side you can actually see there's holes punched around it and you can see it is well alight then within about uh, five minutes it is uh, roaring away then you let it die down a bit then just literally very carefully tip the charcoal out onto the barbecue and it's ready to go so none of this firelighter stuff you don't need it but anyway, sort of uh, doing the barbecue the other day, uh, putting in the the fake meat, as I call it, or, or rather the vegetarian stuff, 
and uh, putting my own meat in. I thought they've got it pretty well organized now because the burgers, uh, the fake burgers, look like burgers. And that made me think about the whole uh, Greg's thing when they announced their vegan sausage roll. And thanks to the likes of Piers Morgan on uh, Good Morning Britain, uh, they really sort of got a lot of publicity, and that's basically saved Greg's last year. Um, it's the sales of these vegan sausage rolls. Well, now, of course, everybody's doing it. They've all got in on the game, no matter where you go. To all the fast food shops, there's a vegetarian option. And uh, it just makes you think, if this is so good, why on earth didn't they do it earlier? But there you go. You can never legislate these things. It just needs somebody to come up with a good idea, and it is a moneymaker. So now we're hopefully, well, we're coming to the middle part of this current uh, coronavirus period. People have got to start thinking about a few good ideas to get us going when this lot finishes. And hopefully we don't have a second spike. So no matter what you're doing, even if your job's going to disappear at the end of furlough, it'd be a good idea for people to come up with some new ideas and possibly branch out as a self-employed somebody or other doing something that you enjoy doing and whatever you are doing i hope you enjoy it and uh, it'll all be good for you getting back to the plight of the tourist industry at the moment and the plight of everybody else with this self-distancing and no distancing and you might possibly reducing two meters down to one meters um, I do feel very sorry for the people who have actually marked out their shops and offices and everything else with two-meter tape, because now suddenly they're probably going to have to change it all to one meter. And those people who manufacture the stuff are now left with warehouses full of two-meter tape when uh, one meter is the distance, and who knows, that might disappear as well. So somebody is going to be busy making... Uh, one meter patches to go over the existing tape or do you just junk the lot and start again who knows anyway the point being that um, if you go into a supermarket and I religiously wear a mask uh, when I'm shopping it, it serves two purposes one it protects everybody else from me spraying them with uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, germs and things and secondly it's uh, a warning to everybody else that I'm serious about it and uh, it's quite amazing because people magically drift away leaving you to shop in peace nobody comes near somebody wearing a mask well that's my theory anyway so I will stick with it uh, but I do wonder because uh, we're all busy wearing masks but the supermarket workers they're not wearing masks Oh, this is my local Aldi. Um, I take the view, why pay Tesco prices when I, I can get equally good product from Aldi for about two-thirds the price of Tesco? And if you don't believe me, try it. Um, and do the simple thing, fill up your basket and then uh, or trolley and see what the, the amount is. I reckon if I pay £70 in Aldi, that would cost me about 130 in Tesco 
and Tesco will will say that's all wrong, but uh, I know what I buy and I know the sort of things I buy and uh, that basically is the ratio for me. So their marketing guys are really going to work hard to prove it otherwise. So I think why on earth do that? Okay, there's a few things uh, that Tesco have got that uh, Aldi and Little don't have, but uh, uh, frankly, I think it's worth the saving, and we should each do our part in doing a little bit of saving these days, even if it is uh, filling up the coffers of German-owned supermarkets. But anyway, that's the way it goes, and I'm happy with it. Now, strange for me, but I've taken to turning the television off these days because it just gets so boring um, especially if you're a news junkie like me so I'm listening more and more to uh, BBC Five Live which is one of the digital stations and you can also find it on your smart TV it'll be listed somewhere and you just take the audio feed off that uh, but uh, the big problem of course is that uh, we've now got football coming back and they've been desperately trying to fill the allotted space uh, with a bit of comedy and comment. Uh, but the problem is that some of the uh, commentators of all the, what do they call them, the, the sort of not commentators, the people that give the additional information, summarizer, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, summarizers they got on these days quite frankly, I really wish they'd go back to school and learn speak proper-like uh, because it's becoming increasingly difficult to understand some of them because they're actually forgetting they're broadcasting and they're not down the pub with their mates. Uh, you've had voices off-key, off-mic, uh, all coming in halfway through a sentence. Okay, you can get away with it sometimes on a podcast, but surely if you're in a, a well-regulated studio, even if you're working from home, there is a producer working the knobs and dials in the, in the studio, so you should get a decent outcome. But I'm afraid it's got pretty slack lately, so I'm hoping that uh, they're going to insist that they go back to the old way of doing things, and that is using an ISDN line rather than plugging a computer into their modem and hoping they're going to get a sound out of it. Anyway, that's my little rant for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'll pop a few more of these podcasts up. Uh, it really depends on how busy everything else is going at the moment. And it's been a bit fractious lately because uh, we'll have all the results of whether we can go on holiday, whether we can fly, all that will be coming out in the next few weeks. And just let's hope we don't have a second spike as a result of these slackening off of the restrictions. And uh, anyway, what I will say to you, stay safe, stay friendly and keep listening. Bye for now.